Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Each week, I offer Bible and faith-based sermons that I hope will be meaningful to a wide and diverse range of listeners. This week's sermon departs from my usual format a bit in that it was inspired by a movie I saw recently and might be considered more of a movie review than a sermon. The movie title is Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, based on the 1970 young adult novel of the same title by Judy Bloom. Part of my interest in this movie stems from my teaching the book to junior high students almost 50 years ago. As long ago as that was, revisiting the book and now seeing the movie showed me that its treatment of the themes of coming of age and religious prejudice is just as relevant today as it was back then. One reviewer said, Judy Bloom wrote stories intended to be timely and did it so well that they became timeless. The producers of the movie, wisely I think, chose to set the story in its original 1970 context instead of trying to update it. As I said, and as the title indicates, there's a central religious theme running through this story. Therefore, let me share with you a biblical passage that summarizes a core theme that I took away from the film. It comes from a brief speech in which Jesus addresses his close disciples who are arguing among themselves over which of them was the greatest. It goes, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child whom he put among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Here ends the reading. That central theme that I was talking about is that the mixed-up, angst-ridden, prepubescent kids in this movie who are struggling to figure out their place in the world come off pretty good compared to the status-seeking, bigoted adults around them. Margaret, the title character of the novel, engages in an ongoing conversation with God as she waits for her body to mature and seeks to puzzle out her complicated relationships with friends and classmates in middle-class suburban America. She is frustrated by the fact that she can only talk to God in private as her experiences with organized religion have left her feeling empty. Part of Margaret's problem arises from a conflict between her Jewish grandmother on her father's side and her Christian grandparents on her mother's side, who disowned their daughter because she married a Jewish man. Because of the conflict, Margaret's parents had decided that they would not introduce her to any religious tradition and then let her decide when she was grown. Because Margaret wants desperately to have a relationship with God, 
She goes on her own journey of exploration. Attending a synagogue with her delighted grandmother, she experiences only boredom with a two-hour-long service in a language that she couldn't understand. Attending church service with a black friend, which is filled with lively gospel singing and dancing, makes her feel good, but she later reports to God that she expected more. Finally, she follows a classmate into a Catholic confessional and ends up bolting from the confessional booth, not quite sure what she was sorry for. Margaret's religious confusion reaches its crisis point when her Jewish grandmother and boyfriend show up at her house at the same time her Christian grandparents make their first visit since she'd been born. During a tense dinner, the grandparents openly fight as they try to claim Margaret in their own religious tradition. Margaret, furious with all of them for their bickering for possession of her soul, explodes and leaves the room shouting, Stop it! I don't even believe in God. Margaret returns to her friends and allows herself to be a little girl again. And they find joy together. And Margaret befriends a girl who had become an outcast because she had physically matured faster than the other girls and had been subjected to cruel rumors about her sexual behavior. Reminiscent of Jesus' words, they become like little children again. At the end of the film, as Margaret experiences her first period, she resumes her conversation with God. Thank you, God, she exclaims. God had been with her all the time. You may hear some controversy about Judy Bloom and Are You There, God? The book was censored way back in the 1970s because it dealt too frankly with teenage sexuality. By today's standards, however, those criticisms are pretty much outdated. But the book has also been accused by a few of being anti-Christian. Well, it's clearly not. While Bloom is Jewish and her character Margaret is close with her Jewish grandmother, the book clearly promotes an interfaith perspective and religious tolerance. It also promotes personal reflection on religion, which to me is essential to faith itself. So what are the main relevant takeaways from Are You There, God? In the first line in the book, the opening and the opening scene of the movie, Margaret says, Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. We're moving today. I'm so scared, God. I've never lived anywhere but here. Suppose I hate my new school. school. Suppose everybody here hates me. Please help me, God. Don't let New Jersey be too horrible. Thank you. The thing that strikes me about this prayer is that it sounds just like an open and honest conversation you would have with a close friend. And that's the point. Margaret, who has lived in an intentional religious void of her parents' creation, to her, God is a close, trusted friend. Lacking is any sense of majesty and awe. God is someone who is always present that you can just talk to. 
Notice that she ends her conversation not with a pious amen, but with a simple, and we can presume sincere, thank you. This is the most profound statement of the story. In itself, that would be enough. Everything else that happens points back to the ultimate importance of having an intimate relationship with God. One of the implications is that faith is not dependent upon being part of any particular religious tradition. In fact, despite her delving into the different religions of her friends, their frozen traditions do more to get in the way of her relationship with God. In not providing their daughter with religious background, Margaret's well-meaning parents are trying to protect her from those negative effects. Unfortunately, trying to shield Margaret from harm by avoiding rather than discussing the divisions with their own family leads to a disaster and even greater conflict. My wife and I grew up a block apart in a small Midwestern town. She grew up in a strong Polish Roman Catholic family and attended a parochial elementary school. Like many kids in our town, she switched to public school for junior high and high school. I, on the other hand, grew up in a staunch Lutheran family. My grandparents had immigrated from Germany and had Lutheranism ingrained in them, both religious, religiously and culturally. The message that my wife and I both received in our religious training and family life was the same. I remember my pastor teaching a confirmation to avoid Catholic girls. They would lure you into marriage and steal your children away from the Lutheran faith. My wife remembers coming home in tears one day because the priest had told her to say goodbye for good to her paternal grandmother, who was not a Catholic, because she would be condemned to hell. Many years later, at the risk of our mortal souls, my wife and I were able to break free of those toxic traditions. Notably, by that time, our immigrant ancestors were all dead. I hope that they've stopped rolling over in their graves by now. I have to admit that I was a lot like Margaret. I never bought any Catholic humbug that we were taught. There were so few Jewish people in my hometown that they were essentially invisible. But I doubt that I would have bought into the inevitable anti-Semitic garbage that existed in more diverse places. My real faith, like Margaret's, took place in my bedroom at night when I held informal chats with my maker. Unfortunately, also like Margaret, the religious bickering going on around me began to take its toll. I made the mistake of confusing for a while the intolerance of so many of the adults around me with who God was. I too, at one point said, I don't even believe in God. And that went on for a long time. I had loving parents who were good people and who taught me to be the same. And that was enough. I didn't need God. Or at least I didn't need the hypocritical institutions that claim God as their own exclusive property. 
Now, Margaret comes back around to her personal conversations with God with more life experience. All relationships have their ups and downs. She learned that she could be accepting and loving in her human relationships and not follow the bad examples of the intolerant people around her. Likewise, I discovered that the Bible and faith had a lot to offer me in my relationship with people and with God. I eventually found value in religious traditions in the church, obviously, since I became a pastor. But I'm back now to having my bedtime conversations with my old friend. I guess I'm becoming like a child, a little child in that sense, and that's a good thing. In summary, my first takeaway, start with a personal relationship with God. Speak to God. More importantly, listen to God. God speaks with a still, small voice. And don't blame God for what misguided human beings do. My second takeaway from Are You There, God? is that we must, as individuals and as a human race, develop more tolerance for people who practice other religions. As this story points out and exemplifies, interfaith communication between Christians and Jews is vital. Within Christianity, work needs to be done to encourage more tolerance and understanding among different denominations, including between Protestants and Catholics. Back in the 1970s, when Bloom was writing the story, we were pretty much insulated from religions beyond Christianity and Judaism. Were she writing the same book today, she would have to include Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, and all the other isms with which we come into contact daily. We need to be both ecumenical and interfaith. In the days following the 9-11 terrorist attacks, Many churches, synagogues, mosques, and other religious communities gathered together for prayer and mutual support. And that was great. But the most valuable encouraging thing for me and my community is that we gathered together for an interfaith service. The service was led by a Jewish rabbi, a Muslim imam, a Protestant pastor, and a Roman Catholic priest. Community leaders, first responders, and flight attendants also took part in memorializing those who died and praying for peace. Unfortunately, in the years since, I've seen more religious division than unity, hatred than love. We have a lot more work to do. Maybe Margaret will help us in her introspection. Margaret's relationship with God is important, but so is her relationship with her friends. This reflects the great commandment, love your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Margaret and her friends are preteens who are approaching adolescence. You can see them jockeying for acceptance and prestige among their peers. I'm once again taken back to Jesus' disciples, arguing over who's the greatest. Maybe it's an adulthood thing that brings this self-centeredness out in us. At the end of Are You There, God? 
we see Margaret and her friends abandoning their adulthood seeking quest to play together again, jumping rope, and just acting like kids. At this moment, as they approach adulthood, they needed to become like children, if just for a little while longer. Adolescence was difficult in 1970. The world was changing fast. America was going through a time of adolescence of its own. The innocence of the post-World War II era was over. Kids had not only to deal with their changing bodies, they had to do with their parents' changing values. But if 1970 was a difficult time to come of age, it must seem almost impossible now. Our kids have just emerged from a period of social isolation due to the pandemic. They hear of war around the world. Controversy rages over LGBTQ issues, but also over matters of gender identity. Kids are not only confronted with sexual maturation, but with their sexual identity. Margaret's parents and the parents around them dealt with these important traditional issues in one of two ways, through either denial or anger. And as I look at us adults, I see pretty much the same thing. In us, there's a lot of denial and a lot of anger. And if I'm seeing it, our kids are seeing it. And the results will not be good if we can't get our act together and act like, well, the way adults are supposed to act. So let's start talking to God again and let our children see us doing it. As for me, I'll let you look in on my personal conversation right now. Hello, God. It's me, Jim. Thank you, God. <laughs>